A listener note, this section contains violent language and graphic imagery. Viewer discretion is, is advised. Come along, children. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. Chapter 11. I tell Max that I'm going to check on Tommy Swindon again. He doesn't mind because he made a poop this morning, so he won't need me to check the bathroom until lunch. When Mrs. Gosk has started the day by reading aloud to the class, Max loves it when Mrs. Gosk reads aloud. He becomes so focused on her voice that he forgets everything else, so he probably won't even know that I'm gone. I don't go to Tommy Swindon's class. I go to Mrs. Pendolfi's classroom. I almost don't want to go because I'm afraid of what I will find or what I won't find. I step into her classroom, which is much neater and more organized than Mrs. Gosk's classroom. All the desks are in perfectly straight rows, and there's no sliding mountains of papers on Mrs. Pendolfi's desk. It's almost too clean. I look from one side of the room to the other, and then back again. Graham is not here. I look in the corner behind the bookshelf and in the coat room. She is not there. The children are sitting in their rows, staring at Mr. Mrs. Pandolfi, who is standing at the front of the classroom. She's pointing at a calendar and talking about the date and the weather. The chart paper with the list of this week's spelling words is gone. I see Megan. She sits near the back of the classroom. Her hand is raised. She wants to answer Mrs. Pandolfi's question about the number of days in October. It's 31. I know that answer. I don't see Graham. I want to walk over to Megan and ask if she stopped believing in her imaginary friend last night. Did you stop believing in that point in the pointy-haired girl who kept you company when you didn't know how to talk to anyone and everyone made fun of you? Did you forget about your friend when you forgot how to stutter? Did you even notice that she was fading away? Did you kill my friend? Megan can't hear me. I'm not her imaginary friend is. I'm not her imaginary friend. Graham is. Graham was. Then I see her. She's standing just a few steps away from Megan, near the back of the class. But I can barely see her. I was looking right through her, straight through the windows. Straight through to the windows. And I didn't even know it. It's like someone painted her picture on the window a long time ago, and now it's all faded and worn. I don't even think I would have noticed her had she not blinked. It was the movement I saw first. Not her. I didn't think you'd notice me, Graham said. I don't know what to say. It's all right, Graham says. I know how hard it is to see me. When I opened my eyes this morning, I couldn't see my own hands at first. I thought I had disappeared. I didn't know you sleep, I said. Yeah, of course I do. You don't? No, I say. Then what do you do when Max is asleep? I hang out with his parents until they go to sleep. Then I go for walks. I don't tell her about my visit to the gas station in the corner and Doogie's and the hospital and the police station. I have never told anyone, any imaginary friends, about my visits. I feel like they are mine, my own special thing. Wow, Graham says, and I notice for the first time that her voice is starting to fade too. It sounds airy and thin, like she's talking through a door. I never know that you needed to sleep. I feel bad for you. Why? I ask. 
What good is sleep? When you sleep, you dream. You dream? Of course. Last night, I dreamed that Megan and I were twin sisters. We were playing in the sandbox together, and my fingers could touch the sand. I could hold it in my hand and let it run through my fingers, just like Megan does. I can't believe you dream, I say. I can't believe you can't. Neither of us says anything for a minute. There's a boy at the front of the classroom named Norman, and he is talking about his visit to a place called Old Newgate Prison. I know what a prison is, so I know that Norman is lying about his trip. Kids aren't allowed to visit prisons, but I can't figure out why Mrs. Pendolfi isn't making Norman tell the truth. If Mrs. Goss heard Norman telling the story, she would say, Shame, shame. Let all the boys and girls know your name. Then Norman would have to tell the truth. Norman has a rock in his hand, and he says it came from the prison. He says it came from the mine. That doesn't make any sense either. A mine is a bomb that soldiers bury in the ground so that when other soldiers pass by, they will step on it and blow up. Max pretends to dig minefields for his toy soldiers, so that's how I know. So how could Norman get a rock from a mine? But Norman has everyone fooled. All the kids in class want to touch the rock now, even though it's just a rock that he probably found in the playground this morning. Even if he did find the rock on a mine or under a mine, it's still a rock. Why is everyone so excited? Mrs. Pandolfi has to tell the class to sit back and relax. When Mrs. Gosk wants her kids to relax, she says, Don't get your knickers in a bunch. I don't know what that means, but it sounds funny. Mrs. Pandolfi tells all the kids to sit down again. She promises that everyone will get a chance to hold the rock if they are just patient. It's just a stupid rock, I want to yell. All this nonsense going on while my friend is dying. When is the spelling test? I finally ask. Next, I think. And her voice is even thinner than before. It sounds as if she's standing behind three doors now. She usually gives the test right after show and tell. Graham is right. After Norman is done lying about his fake trip to the prison and everyone has touched his stupid rock, Mrs. Pendolfi finally passes out the white line paper for the spelling test. I stand at the back of the room during the test while Graham stands behind Megan. I can barely see her anymore. When she stands still, she almost disappears completely. I'm standing in the back, hoping that Megan will make at least one mistake. Even though she is a rotten speller, Graham says that she's almost spelled all words, all the words, words on some tests correctly. If she spells them all correctly today, we won't have time to make a new plan. I feel like Graham could disappear in any second. Then it happens. Mrs. Pandolfi says giant, and Megan writes the word on her paper. A second later, Graham leans over, points to it, and says something. Megan has spelled the word wrong, probably with a J instead of a G. And I feel giddy as I watch her erase the word and rewrite it. Three words later, the same thing happens again, this time in the word surprise. But the next time the test is finished, Graham has helped Megan spell five words correctly, and I'm just waiting for the fading away to reverse. Any second now, my friend will appear whole again. She will be safe again. I wait. Graham waits. The test is over. We sit at a small table at the back of the room. We stare at each other. I wait for the moment when I can jump up and shout, It's happening! You're coming back!
Mrs. Pandolfi has moved on to math, and we still wait. But it's not happening. In fact, I think she's fading away even more. Graham is sitting three feet in front of me, and I can barely see her. I want to doubt my eyes. They must be playing tricks on me. But then I know it's true. Graham is still fading away. She's becoming more and more transparent by the second. I can't tell her. I don't want to tell her that the plan didn't work because it should have worked. It has to work. But it didn't. Graham is disappearing. She's almost gone. It didn't work, she finally said, breaking the silence. I can tell. It's okay. It has to work, I say. She spelled all those words right because of you. She needs you. She knows that now. It had to work. It didn't, Graham says. I can tell. I can feel it. Does it hurt? As soon as I said it. I wish I hadn't asked it. I feel bad for asking it, because I'm asking it for me, not for my friend. No, Graham says. Not at all. Even though it's hard to see her, I think she is smiling. It feels like I'm floating away. Like I'm free. There must be something else we can do, I say. I sound frantic. I can't help it. I feel I am on a sip sinking into the ocean, and there are no little boats to save me. I think that Graham is shaking her head, but I can't tell. It's so hard to see her now. There has to be something we can do, I say again. Wait, you said that Megan is afraid of the dark. Go tell her that, there's a, that a monster lives under her bed and it only comes out at night and that you're the only reason she hasn't been eaten yet. Tell her that every night you protect her from the monster and that if you die, she will be eaten. Budo, I can't. It's a rotten thing to do, I know, but you're going to die if you don't. You have to try. It's okay. Grandma said, I'm ready to go. What does that mean you're ready to go? Go where? You know what happens when you disappear? No, but it's okay, she says again. Whatever happens, I'll be fine, and Megan will be fine. I can barely hear now. You have to try, Graham. Go over there and tell her what she ne- that she needs you. Tell her about the monster into the bed. That's not it, Buddha. It doesn't have to do with Megan needing me. We were wrong. Megan's just growing up. First it's me, and then it will be the Tooth Fairy, and then next year it will be Santa Claus. She's a big girl now. But the Tooth Fairy isn't real, and you are. Fight, Graham, fight. Please, don't leave me. You've been a good friend to me, Budo. But I have to go now. I'm going to sit next to Megan now. I want to spend my last few minutes with her, sitting next to my friend. It's the only thing I'm really sad about. What? That I won't be able to look at her anymore. See her grow up. I'm going to miss Megan so much. She is quiet for a moment, and then she adds, I love her so much. I start crying. I don't know it at first, because I've never cried before. My nose is suddenly clogged with boogers, and my eyes feel wet. I feel warm and sad. So very sad. I feel like a hose with a kink in it, just waiting to let go and spray water everywhere. I feel I'm going to burst open with tears, but I'm glad that I'm crying, because I don't have the words to say goodbye to Graham, and I know that I must. Graham will be gone very soon, and I'm going to lose my friend. I want to say goodbye and tell her how much I love her, too, but I don't know how. I hope that my tears say it for me. Graham stands up and smiles at me. 
She nods her head. Then she walks over to Megan. She sits behind her and speaks in her ear. I don't think Megan can hear her anymore. Megan is listening to Mrs. Pandolfi and smiling. I stand up. I go to the door. I want to leave. I don't want to be here when Graham disappears. I look back one more time. Megan has her hand raised again, ready to answer another question. To answer without stuttering. Graham is still sitting behind her, perched in a tiny first grade chair. I can barely see her now. If Mrs. Pandolfi opened the window and let a breeze in, I think that might be enough to blow away the last little bit of Graham forever. I look one more time before I leave. Graham is still smiling. She's staring at Megan, craning her neck to see the little girl's face. And she's smiling. I turn. I leave my friend behind. Chapter 12 Mrs. Gosk is teaching math. The kids are spread out around the room, rolling dice and calculating with their fingers. It takes me a minute to check all the corners of the room, but Max is not here. This is good. Max hates these games. He hates to roll dice and listen to kids scream when they roll two sixes. He just wants to solve his math problems and be left alone. I'm not sure where Max is supposed to be right now. He could be in the learning center with Mrs. McGann and Mrs. Patterson, or he could be in Mrs. Hume's office. It's hard to keep track because he see of Max because he sees so many teachers during the day. I'm also not very good at telling time when a clock has hands on it, and that's the only kind of clock that Mrs. Gosk has in her classroom. I check in Mrs. Hume's office first because the closest, it is the closest to Mrs. Gosk's rooms, but Max is not there. Mrs. Hume is talking to the principal about a boy who sounds a lot like Tommy Swinton, except his name is Danny and he's in second grade. The principal sounds worried. She uses the word situation three times when talking about Danny. When adults use situation a lot, it means that things are serious. The principal's name is Mrs. Palmer. She's an older lady who doesn't like to punish kids or give out consequences. So, we talk, so she talks to Mrs. Hume about a lot about alternative ways to make the students behave. She thinks that if she makes a kid like Tommy volunteer in a kindergarten classroom, he will learn to behave. I think that just gives Tommy Swindon a chance to be mean to even smaller kids. Mrs. Hume thinks that Mrs. Palmer is crazy. I heard her say it more than once to other teachers. Mrs. Hume thinks that if Mrs. Palmer would give a kid like Tommy Swindon attention more often, he might not try to bowl kids like Max in the bathroom. I think that Mrs. Hume is right. Max's mom says that the right thing is usually the hardest thing. I don't think Mrs. Palmer has learned that lesson yet. I walk down the hallway and check the learning center, but Max isn't here either. Mrs. McGann is working with a boy called Gregory. <clears throat> Gregory is a first grader who has, who has a disease called seizures. He has to wear a helmet all the time just in case he falls on his head when he's having a seizure. A seizure is like a combination of a temper tantrum and getting stuck. Maybe if I had figured out a way for Graham to help Megan with her temper tantrums, Graham would still be here. Maybe Megan didn't care about spelling. Maybe we needed to fix something even bigger than a spelling test. Max is probably in the bathroom near the nurse's office. He probably had a bonus poop after all. If that's what happened, Max is going to be mad. That's two days in a row that he had to knock on the door. But Max isn't in the bathroom either. It's empty. Now I'm worried. The only other place that where Max could be is in Mrs. Reiner's office. But Max only works with his speech teacher on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Maybe he's working with her today for some special reason. Maybe Mrs. Reiner has to go to a wedding next Tuesday and won't be able to see Max. It's the only place he could be, 
But Mrs. Reiner's room is on the other side of school, so I'll have to walk by Mrs. Pandolfi's classroom to get there. I thought I hadn't thought about Graham for three whole minutes, and I was starting to feel better. Now I'm wondering if Graham had completely disappeared. If I walk by the classroom, I wonder if I look inside, I will see her sitting behind me again. Maybe I will see just a few wisps left of my friend. I want to wait until Max gets back to Mrs. Gosk's classroom, but I know I should meet him in Mrs. Reiner's classroom. It would make him happy to see me, and to be honest, I want to see Max too. Watching Graham disappear makes me want to see Max more than ever, even if it means walking by Mrs. Pendolfi's classroom. But I never get there. Just as I'm passing the gym, which separates the little kid's side of the school from the big kid's side of the school, I see Max. He's walking into the school, passing through the set of double doors that lead to the outside. It doesn't make sense. It's not recess time, and these and those aren't even doors that lead to the playground. They face the parking lot and the street. I've never seen a kid go through those doors. Mrs. Patterson walks in behind him. She stops as she enters the building and looks left and right, like she was expecting to see someone waiting by the door. Max, I say, and he turns to see me. He doesn't say anything, because he knows if he does, Mrs. Patterson will start asking questions. Some adults talk to Max like he's a baby when they ask him questions about me. They say, is Budo here right with us right now? And does Budo have anything he wants to say to me? Yes, I always tell Max. Tell him that I wish I could punch him in the nose. But he never does. Then there are other adults that look like Max when he's sick when he tells them about me. Like there's something wrong with him. Sometimes they even look a little frightened of him. So we almost never talk in front of people. Whenever someone sees Max talking to me from a distance on the playground or the bus or in the bathroom, he just says he was talking to himself. Where were you? I ask, even though I don't know. I know that Max won't answer. He looks back outside towards the parking lot. His eyes widened to tell me that wherever he was, it was good. We walk in the direction of Mrs. Goss' classroom, Mrs. Patterson leading the way. Just before we reach the classroom door, she stops. She turns around and looks at Max. Then she leads down so that she can, so that she and Max are eye to eye. Remember what I said, Max. I only want what's best for you. Sometimes I'm the only one who knows what's best for you. I'm not sure, but I think Mrs. Patterson said the last part more to herself than to Max. She's about to say something when Max interrupts. When you tell me the same thing over and over again, it bothers me. It makes me think that you don't think I'm smart. I'm sorry, Mrs. Patterson said. I didn't mean that. You're the smartest boy I know. I won't say it again. She pauses for a second. And I can tell she's waiting for Max to say something. This happens a lot. Max doesn't notice the pauses. Someone will be speaking to him. And when the person stops, expecting Max to say something, he just waits. If there's no question to answer and nothing he wants him to say, then he says nothing. The silence does not make him squirm like it makes other people squirm. Mrs. Patterson finally speaks again. Thank you, Max. You really are a smart and sweet young man. Even though I think Mrs. Patterson is telling the truth, that she really believes that Max is smart and sweet, she's talking in that same baby talk that some people used to talk to Max about me. She sounds fake because she sounds like she's trying to be real instead of just being real. I do not like Miss Patterson one bit. Where did you go with Mrs. Patterson today? I ask. I can't tell you. I promised I'd keep it a secret. But you've never keep kept a secret from me. Max grins. 
It's not exactly a smile, but it is as close as Max gets to smiling. No one has ever asked me to keep a secret before. This is my first. Is it a bad secret? I ask. What do you mean? Did you do something bad? Or did Mrs. Patterson do something bad? No. I think for a moment. Were you helping someone? Kind of, but that's a secret, Max says, and he grins again. His eyes get wide. I can't tell you I can't tell you anything else. You're really not going to tell me, I ask. No, it's a secret. It's my first secret. Chapter 13 Max did not go to school today. It is Halloween, and Max does not go to school on Halloween. The masks that kids wear during the, their Halloween parties scare him. In kindergarten, Max got stuck after seeing a boy named JP walk out of the bathroom wearing a Spider-Man mask. It was the first time he got stuck at school, and the teacher didn't know what to do. I don't think I've ever seen a teacher so scared. Max's mom and dad sent him to school on Halloween in first grade, hoping he had grown out of it. Grown out of it means that his parents couldn't figure out what to do. So they didn't do anything except hope that things had changed because Max had grown taller and was wearing bigger sneakers. But as soon as the first kid put on a mask, Max got stuck again. Last year, he stayed home from school on Halloween, and he's doing the same today. Max's dad took the day off, too, so they could spend the day together. He called his boss and said that he is sick. An adult doesn't have to be sick to say that he is sick, but if a kid wants to stay home from, hollow- from school, he has to be sick. Or afraid of Halloween masks. We're going to the pancake house on the Berlin Turnpike. Max likes the pancake house. It's one of his four favorite restaurants. Max will only eat at four restaurants. A list of Max's four favorite restaurants. IHOP. Wendy's. Max can't eat at Burger King anymore because his father once told him a story about a customer eating a fish sandwich with a bone in it. And now Max is worried that everything at his father's Burger King will have a bone in it. Max Burger. There is actually a bunch of Max restaurants with names like Max Fish and Max Downtown. And Max thinks it's great that they share his name, but Max's parents brought him to Max Burger first, and now it's the only one where he will eat. The Corner 4. The Corner Pug. If Max goes to a new restaurant, he cannot eat. Sometimes he even gets stuck. It's hard to explain why. To Max, the pancakes at the pancake house on the Berlin Turnpike are pancakes, but the pancake at the diner across the street aren't really pancakes. Even though they look the same and probably taste the same, they are a completely different food for Max. He will tell you that the pancakes across the street at the diner are pancakes, but not his pancakes. Like I said, it's hard to explain. Do you want to try blueberries and your pancakes today? Max's father asked. No, Max said. Okay, Max's dad said. Maybe next time. No. We sit quietly for a while, waiting for the food to come. <clears throat> Max's dad flips through the menu even though he has already ordered his food. The waitress stuck the menus behind the syrup where Max and his dad were done when Max and his dad were done ordering, but Max's dad took it back out as soon as she left. I think he likes to have something to look at when he doesn't know what to say. Max and I have a staring contest. We do this a lot. He wins the first game. I get distracted when a waiter drops in a glass of orange juice on the floor. Are you happy to have the day off from school? Max's father asked just as we are starting to beginning another staring, con- another staring contest. His father's voice startles me and I blink. Max wins again. Yes, Max says. 
do you want to go trick-or-treating tonight? No. You won't. You wouldn't have to wear a mask, Max's dad said. No costume at all if you don't want. No. I think that Max's dad sometimes gets sad talking to Max. I can see it in his eyes and hear it in his voice. <clears throat> the more they talk, the worse it gets. His shoulders slump. He sighs a lot. His chin sinks into his chest. I think that he thinks Max's one-word answers are all his fault. Like he is to blame for Max... Like he is to blame for Max not wanting to talk. But Max doesn't talk unless he has something to say, no matter who you are. So only... So, if you only ask him yes or no questions, you're only going to get yes or no answers. Max doesn't know how to chat. Actually, Max doesn't want to know how to chat. We sit in silence again. Max's dad is looking at the menu again. An imaginary friend enters the restaurant. He's walking behind a set of parents and a little girl with red hair and freckles. The imaginary friend actually looks a lot like me. He's almost a lot like a human person, except his skin is yellow. Not a little yellow. Yellow like someone painted him with the yellowest yellow they could find. He's also missing eyebrows, which is pretty common for imaginary friends. But otherwise, he could pass for a human person, if everyone except the little redhead and I could see him. I'm going to check the kitchen, I say to Max. Make sure it's clean. I do this a lot when I want to explore. Max likes it when I make sure places are clean. Max nods. He's drumming his fingers on the table in patterns. I walk over to the yellow boy, who has taken a seat behind the girl. They are on the other side of the restaurant. Max can't see me from here. Hello, I say. I'm Budo. Would you like to talk? The yellow boy is so startled that he almost falls off the bench. I get this a lot. You can see me? The yellow boy says. He has a little, girl. He has a little girl's voice, which is also common with imaginary friends. Kids never seem to imagine their imaginary friends with deep voices. I guess it's just easier to imagine a voice like your own. Yes, I say. I can see you. I'm like you. Really? Yeah. I don't use the word imaginary friend. <clears throat> because not every imaginary friend knows this name. And it scares some of them when they hear it for the first time. Who are you talking to? This is, little, this is the little girl. Maybe three or four years old. She has the yellow she has heard the yellow boy's half of the conversation. I can see the panic in the yellow boy's eyes. He doesn't know what to say. Tell her that you were talking to yourself, I say. Sorry, Alexis. I was talking to myself. Can you get up and walk away? I ask. Is that something you can do? I have to go to the bathroom. Oh, sorry. I have to go to the bathroom, the yellow boy says to Alexis. Okay, Alexis says. Okay what? Asked the woman sitting across from Alexis. Alexis' mom, no doubt. Um, the two look so much alike. Red hair and freckles times two. Okay that Jojo can go to the potty. Oh, Alexis' dad says. Jojo's going to the potty, huh? Jojo's dad is using the baby talk. I don't like him already. Follow me, I say. And I lead Jojo to the kitchen. Down a set of stairs and into the basement. I've explored this place before, with only four restaurants, and, all, and only three that we go inside. It isn't hard to cover them at all. There's a walk-in freezer to my right and a stockroom to my left, though it's not really a room. It's just a space surrounded by a chain-link fence. The fence starts at the floor and goes to the ceiling. I pass through the door, which is also made from chain-link fence, and sit in one of the boxes on the other side. Whoa, Jojo says. How did you do that? 
Can't you pass through doors? I don't know. If you could, you would know, I say. It's okay. I pass, through, I pass back through the door and take a seat on the plastic pail in the corner by the stairs. Jojo stands by the wire fence for a moment longer, standing at it. He reaches out to touch it. The weakest hand slowly is afraid to be electrocuted. His hand stops at the chain link. He doesn't touch the fence. He doesn't move the wire with his hand. His hand just stops. It's not the fence that blocks him from entering. It's the idea of the fence. I've seen this before, too. It's the same reason I don't fall through the floor. When I walk, I don't leave footprints because I'm not actually touching the ground. I'm touching the idea of the ground. Some ideas, like floors, are too strong for imaginary friends to pass through. No one imagines an imaginary friend who can slide through the floor and disappear. The ideas of floors too strong in a little kid's mind. It's too permanent, like walls. Lucky for us. Sit, I say, motioning to a barrel. Jojo does. I'm Budo. Sorry to scare you. It's okay. You just look so real. I know, I say. I have frightened lots of imaginary friends when they realize that I am talking to them because I look so real. You can usually tell that someone is an imaginary friend by things like their yellow skin or missing eyebrows. Most of the time, they don't look like a human person at all. But I do. That's why I can be a little scary. I look real. Can you tell me what's happening? Jojo says. Um, What do you already know? I ask. Let's start with that, and then I'll fill in the missing pieces that I know. This is the best way to talk to an imaginary friend for the first time. Okay, Jojo says. But what should I tell? How long have you been alive? I asked. I don't know. A little while. More than a few days? Oh, yes. More than a few weeks? Jojo thinks for a moment. I don't know. Okay, I say. Probably a few weeks then. Has anyone told you what you are? Mom says that I'm Alexis' imaginary friend. She doesn't say that to Alexis, but I hear her say it. I heard her say it to Dad. I smile. Lots of imaginary friends think of their human parents as their parents, too. Okay, so you know then. You're an imaginary friend. The only people who can see you are Alexis and other imaginary friends, too. Is that what you are, too? Yes. Jojo leans close to me. Does that mean we aren't real? No, I say. It just means that we are a different kind of real. It's the kind of real that adults don't understand. So they just assume that we're imaginary. How come you can walk through fences and I can't? We do what our human friends imagined us to do. My friend imagined that I look like this and can walk through doors. Alexis imagined that your skin is yellow and you cannot walk through doors. Oh. It's the kind of oh that says, you just explained a gigantic thing to me. Do you really really use the bathroom? I ask. No. I just tell Alexis that if I want to look around a little. I wish I had thought of that. Do any imaginary friends use the bathroom? He asks. I laugh. None that I've ever met. Oh. You should probably get back to Alexis now, I say, thinking that Max is probably wondering where I am as well. Oh, okay. Will I see you again? Probably not. Where do you live? I don't know, he says. In the greenhouse. You should try to find out your address, in case you ever get lost. Especially because you can't pass through doors. What do you mean? He asks. He looks worried. He should be. 
you have to be careful that you don't get left behind. Make sure that you climb into the car as soon as the doors open. Otherwise, they could drive away without you. But Alexis wouldn't do that. Alexis is a little kid, I say. She's not the real, she's not the boss. Her parents are the boss. And they don't think you are real. So you have to take care of yourself, okay? Okay. But he sounds so small, he says. But he sounds so small when he speaks. I wish I could see you again. Max and I come here a lot. Maybe I'll see you here again. Okay? Okay. It almost sounds like a wish. I stand. I'm getting ready to get back to Max. But Jojo is still sitting on the sail. Buddha? He asks. Where are my parents? Huh? My parents, he says. Alexis has parents, but I don't. Alexis says they're my parents, too. But they can't see or hear me. Where are my parents? The one who can see me? We don't have parents, I tell him. I want to say something better, but there is nothing better. He looks sad when I say this, and I understand, because it makes me sad, too. That's why you have to take care of yourself, I say. Okay, he says, but he still doesn't stand. He sits on the pail, staring at his feet now. We have to go now, okay? Okay. Finally, he stands. I'll miss you, Buddha. Me too. Max begins screaming at exactly 9.28 p.m. I know this because I'm watching the clock, waiting for 9.30 when Max's mom and dad will change the channel to my favorite show of the week. I don't know why he is screaming, but I know that it is not, a, it is not normal. He hasn't woken up from a nightmare or seen a spider. This is not a normal scream. I know that he's probably going to get stuck no matter how fast his parents rush up the stairs. Then I hear it. Then I hear it. Three bangs coming from the front of the house. Hitting the house. There might have been a bang right before Max started screaming too. The television was on a commercial. And commercials are loud. Then I hear two more bangs. Then the sound of glass breaking. A window, I think. A window has broken. Max's, bed Max's bedroom window has broken. I don't know how I know it, but I do. Max's mama and dad are already on the second floor. I can hear them running down the hall towards Max's room. I'm still sitting in the cushiony chair. I'm stuck for a second, too. Not like Max, but the screams and bangs and breaking glass have me stuck in place. I don't know what to do. Max says that a good soldier is good under pressure. I am not good under pressure. I am bad under pressure. I don't know what to do. Then I do. I get up and go to the front door. I pass through the door and step out onto the front porch. I, I, catch a I catch a glimpse of the boy just as he disappears behind the house across the street. It's the Tyler's house. Mr. and Mrs. Tyler's are old people. They don't have little boys, so I know that this boy is just using their backyard to escape. I think about chasing him for a second, but I don't need to. I know who it is. Even if I caught up to him, there is nothing that I could do. I turn and look towards the house. Look at the house. I expect to see holes in the house. Maybe sparks and fire. But it's just eggs. Eggshells and yolk are running down the siding around Max's bedroom window. And his window is broken. The glass on the part of the window is gone. I don't hear Max screaming anymore. He's stuck. There is no screaming when he gets stuck. When Max gets stuck, there's nothing anyone can do for him. His mom will rub his back or stroke the hair on his head. But I think that this will only help his mom feel better. I don't think Max even notices. Max eventually gets unstuck on his own. 
even though Max's mom was worried that this will be the worst episode that Max has ever had. Max never gets more stuck or less stuck. He just gets stuck. The only thing that changes is how long he gets stuck. Since Max has never seen his bedroom window break and a glass land on his bed while he was sleeping, I think he's going to be stuck for a while this time. Um, when Max gets stuck, he sits with his knees pulled really tight into his chest. And he rocks back and forth and makes a whining sound. His eyes are open, but it's like they can't see anything. He really can't hear anything either. Max once told me that when he's stuck, he can hear the people around him, but it sounds like they are coming from a television in a neighbor's house. Fake and far away. Kind of like how Graham sounded before she disappeared. So there's nothing I can do to, to... Whoa. There's nothing I can say or do to help. That's why I'm going to the gas station. I'm not being mean. I'm just not needed here. But I waited for the police to show up to ask Ma- Ma- Max's mom and dad a bunch of questions. The police officer, who was much shorter and skinnier than the police officers on television, took some pictures of the house and the window in Max's room and wrote everything down in a little notepad. He asked, Ma- he asked Max's parents if they knew why someone might egg our house, and they said no. It's Halloween, Max's dad said. Don't lots of people get egged? They don't have their windows broken with rocks, the little, pl- the little police officer said. It looks as if, your pers- as if the person throwing the eggs was aiming specifically at your son's window. How would they know it's, it's, it was Max's window, his mom asked. You told me that his window is full of Star Wars decals the little police officer said, right? Oh, yes. Even I knew the answer to that one. Is Max having trouble with anyone at school? The police officer asked. No, Max's dad said, speaking so fast that Max's mom didn't have a chance to speak, like he was afraid to give her a chance to speak. Max does well in school. No problems at all. Unless you count pooping out a bully's head. Chapter 14. The gas station is at the end of the street and six blocks over. It's open all the time. It never closes like the grocery store and the other gas stations down the street. And that's why I like it so much. I can go out in the middle of the night and still find people who are awake. If I made a list of my favorite places in the whole world, I think Mrs. Goss's classroom would win. But I think the gas station would be second. When I walk through the door tonight, Sally and Dee are on duty. Sally is usually a girl's name, but this Sally is a boy. For a second, I think of Graham, my girlfriend with a boy's name. I once asked Max if Budo is usually a boy's name, and he said yes. But he crinkles eyebrows when he said it, so I don't think he was sure. Sally is even skinnier and even shorter than the police officers who visited the house tonight. He is practically tiny. I don't think that his real name is Sally. I think that people call him Sally because he is smarter than most girls. He's smaller than most girls. Dee is standing in the candy bar in Twinkie Isle, putting more candy bars and Twinkies out for people to buy. Twinkies are little yellow cakes and everyone makes fun that everyone makes fun of, but everyone eats, so Dee is always filling up the Twinkie shelf. Her hair is wrapped up in little curls and she is chewing gum. She is always chewing gum. She chews like she is chewing with her whole body. Everything moves when she chews. Dee is always happy and and angry at the same time. She gets mad at a lot of of little things, but always smiles while she is yelling about them. She loves to yell and she loves to complain, but I think the yelling and complaining make her happy. I just think that she is funny. I love her. If I made a list of all the human persons except for Max who I'd like to talk to, 
I think Mrs. Goss would win, but I think Dee would win too. Sally is behind the counter, holding a clipboard and pretending to count the boxes of cigarettes that hang in the plastic case over her head. He's actually watching the small television on the back counter. <laughs> Sorry, my cat tickled my foot. Buddy, what are you doing? Um, he does this all the time. I don't recognize the show. <laughs> um, but it has police officers in it. Like most of the shows on television. There's one customer in the store. An older man. Um, who's wondering in the back. Like, <laughs> like, who's wondering in the back of the store and eating the coolers. Peeking out through the glass to the right bottle of juice or soda. He is not a regular. A regular is someone who comes to the gas station all the time. Every day for someone. You can't sit on my lap right now. You can sit back with me if you want. Um, Dee and Sally don't mind the regulars, but Dorothy, who sometimes works overnights too, hates the regulars. She says that of all these places these deadbeats can be spending their time, why would they want to hang out at a, in a godforsaken gas station? I guess I'm a regular here too. Out of all the places I could spend my time, I come here. Um, I don't care what Dorothy thinks. I love this place. This is this is this was the first place where I felt safe when I started leaving Max at night. Um, it was Dee who made me feel safe. I'm standing over by Dee when she notices that Sally is working. Hey, Sally, you're gonna stop playing with yourself and finish inventory. Sally holds his hand up and points at Dee with his middle finger. He does this a lot. I used to think that he was raising his hand to ask a question, like Max does when he wants to ask Mrs. Gosh a question, or like Megan was doing when I saw Graham for the last time. But I think it means more than that, because Sally never seems to have a question to ask. Sometimes Dee points her middle finger back at him, and when she does, she sometimes adds the face, screw you, which I know is inappropriate, because Sissy Lamont once, caught, once got caught saying it to Jane Feber in the cafeteria and got in a lot of trouble for it. It's almost like Sally and Dee are high-fiving each other without touching, but I think it's supposed to be in a way of acting rude. Like sticking your tongue out at a person when you don't like them. Because Sally only does this when Dee is being mean to him. But Sally never does it when a customer is being mean, and I've seen customers be ten times meaner than Dee. So I'm still not sure. I can't ask Mask because he doesn't know that I come here. Actually, Sally and Dee like each other a lot, but whenever a customer is inside the store, they pretend to fight. Nothing too bad. Max's mom would call it bickering, which means fighting without the danger of hating each other at the end. That's what Sally and Dee do. That's what Sally and Dee do. They bicker. But as soon as a customer leaves, they go back to being nice to each other. When someone is watching, I think they like to put on a show. Max would never understand this. He has a hard time understanding that you need to act differently in different situations. Last year, Joey came over to the house for a play date, and Max's mom said, do you boys want to play video games with Max's video? Do you do you boys want to play with Max's video games? I can't play and I can't play video games until after dinner. Max said, "Oh no, it's okay, Max. Joey is here. You can play. I'm not allowed to play video games until after dinner and for only thirty minutes. It's okay, Max." His mom said, "You have a friend over. It's different today. I can't play video games before dinner." Max's mom went back and forth until Joey said. It's okay. Let's go play catch outside. That was Max's last play date. The customer leaves and Sally and Dee switch back to being nice. How's your ma? Sally asks. He's back to count cigarettes. 
probably because there's a commercial on the television. She's okay. But, Dee says, but my uncle has his foot amputated. Has, my uncle had his foot amputated when he had diabetes. And I'm worried they might do the same thing to my mom, too. Why would they do that? Sally asks. His eyes are wide. Bad circulation. She's already got it a little bit. The foot start of dies and they have to chop it off. Damn, Sally says in a way that just that means he's still thinking about what Dee just said. He can't believe it. I can't believe it either. This is why I love hanging out at the gas station. Before I came into the store, I didn't know that a foot could die and get chopped off. I thought if one part of a human person dies, everything dies. I'll have to ask Mask what bad circulation means, and I'll have to make sure he doesn't catch it. And I want to know who they are, the foot-chopping people. As they start to talk some more about Dee's mom, Polly walks in the door. Polly is a man who works at Walmart and likes to buy scratch tickets. I love scratch tickets, and I love when Polly comes in to buy them, because he always scratches them right here on the counter. And if he wins, he hands them on right back to Dee or Sally or Dorothy for more scratch tickets. Scratch tickets are like tiny television shows, even shorter than commercials, but a whole lot better. Each scratch ticket is like a story. Pay $1 and try to win a million dollars, which is a lot of money. Polly's whole life could change with just one scratch. In one second, he could become rich, uh, which would mean he wouldn't have to work at Walmart anymore and could spend more time here. And when I'm here, I like to, I get to watch him scratch. I stand right over his shoulder and watch the little shavings get pushed off by the card by his lucky quarter. Polly has never won more than $500, but even that made him very happy. He likes to pretend that nothing big happened, but his cheeks turned bright red and he could barely stand still. He shuffled his feet and rubbed his hands like a kindergartner who has to pee real bad. Someday I think Polly is going to win the big prize. He buys so many scratch tickets that he has to win eventually. I worry that he's, he's going to win when I'm not here, and I'll only hear about it later from Dee or Sally. Polly says that when he hits it big, we won't ever see him again. But I don't believe him. I don't think Polly has a better place to be than the gas station. Why else would he come here every night, buy scratch tickets and a coffee, and stay for an hour? I think Sally and Dee and even Dorothy are Polly's friends, even if Sally and Dee and Dorothy don't know it. But I think Dee knows it. I can just tell by the way she talks to Polly. I don't think she wants to be Polly's friend. But she needs to be Polly's friend. For Polly... That's why Dee is my favorite person in the world, except for Max and his mom and his dad. And maybe Mrs. Gosk. I watched Polly scratch ten tickets. He doesn't win anything, and now he has no more money. Tomorrow's payday, he says. I'm a little low on funds. This is how Polly asks for a free copy. Dee tells him to take a cup. Polly drinks his copy slowly, standing near the counter and watching the television with Sally, who isn't even pretending to count cigarettes anymore. It's 10.51 which means that the show must be near the end, and that's the worst time to miss something on the TV show. You can skip the first ten minutes if you want, but you can't miss the last ten minutes, because that's where all the good stuff happens. I swear that if you don't turn off that goddamn TV, we're going to tell Bill to throw it away, Dee says. Five minutes, Sally says, not taking his eyes off the screen. Then I'll turn it off, I promise. Have a heart, Polly says. When a show ends, a smart policeman catches a thinks he's so smart bad guy. Sally goes back to counting. Polly finishes his coffee, waits for two more customers to leave. Sorry. Um, 
and then says goodbye. He gives a big wave, stands at the door for a moment as if he doesn't want to leave, and I don't think he ever does, and tells off that he'll be back tomorrow. Someday I should follow Polly, see where he lives. It's still Halloween, and even though it's late and most kids are in their bed, I'm not surprised when a man walks in wearing a mask. It's a devil mask, red with two plastic horns on top. Dee is stocking the shelf on the far side of the store with band-aids and aspirin and the tiny tubes of toothpaste. She is down on one knee. So she doesn't see the man in the devil mask come in. Sally is, scra- is counting scratch tickets now. The man in the devil mask comes to the store, in the door closest to Sally and walks up to the counter. Sorry, no masks allowed in the store. It's a... It sounds like Sally wants to say something else but stops. But he stops. Something is wrong. I will blow your fucking head off unless you open the register and give me the money now. This is the voice of the devil man. He is holding a gun. It's black and silver and looks heavy. He's pointing it at Sally's face. I know that the bullet can't hurt me, but I duck anyway. I'm afraid. The devil man's voice sounds so loud even though it is not. I duck. As I duck, Dee rises up next to me, tubes of toothpaste in her hand. We passed each other at the halfway point. As our flashes flash by one another, I suddenly want to tell her to stop, to duck. What's going on, she says. She asks, her head rising above the shelves. Then I hear a crash, a bang that is so loud that would have hurt my ears if they could hurt. It makes me scream. Not a long scream, but a quick scream. A surprise scream. Even before I finish my scream, Dee falls. It is like she is pushed backwards, and she falls into a shelf of potato chips. She falls backwards and turns at the same time, and I see the blood on her shirt as she turns. This is not like television. The blood on her is on her shirt, but tiny drops are in her face and arms, too. Red is everywhere, and Dee doesn't say anything. She just falls into potato chips, face first, little tubes of toothpaste standing, landing around her. Fuck! This is the man. The devil man. Not Sally. It is not an angry no. It is a scared fuck. Fuck! Fuck! He screams these last two fucks. He is still afraid, but also sounds like he can't believe what he is seeing. Like he was suddenly popped into a television show with the bad guy, without, ever, without anyone telling him that this would happen. Get up! He shouts these words too. He's back to angry now. I think he's talking to me, so I do. I stand up, but he is not talking to me. Then I think he's talking to D, who has slid off the potato chip shelf and onto the floor. But he's not talking to D either. He's shouting at the counter, trying to peek over it, but the counter is tall. It is on a stage, and there are these three stairs that you have to climb to get behind the counter. Sally is on the other side of the counter, I think, on the floor, but the devil man can't see him from where he's standing. Fuck! He shouts again and makes a growling sound. And then he turns and runs. He opens the door, and then he walks away through a minute he walks then he walk that he walked through a minute ago before D was bleeding and runs into the dark. I stand for a minute, watching him run away. Then I hear D. She's on the floor next to my feet, wheezing, like Cory Topper when she's having an asthma asthma attack. His her eyes are open. It looks like she's looking me straight in the eyes, but she can't see my eyes. But a part of me swears that she can. I think she's looking right at me. She looks so afraid. This is not like television. There's so much blood. D has been shot, I say, and sometimes this makes me feel a tiny bit better, because being shot is a lot better than being dead. Sally, I yell. 
but Sally can't hear me. I run, over, I run over to the counter, climb the three steps, and look behind the counter. Sally is lying on the floor. He is shaking, shaking even more than Max shakes when Max is stuck. At, at first, I think Sally has been shot, too, but then I remember that I only heard one bang. Sally is not shot. Sally is stuck. He needs to call the hospital or Dee will die, but Sally is stuck. Get up, I shout to Sally. Hurry, get up. Sally is stuck. He is as stuck as Max has ever been. He's curled up into a ball and he is shaking. Dee is going to die because Sally won't move and I can only watch. One of my most famous people in the whole wide world is bleeding and I can't do a thing. The door closest to me opens. The devil man is back. I look, expecting to see his gun and pointy horns. But it is not the devil man. It's Dan. Big Dan. Another rig there. Not as nice as Polly, but more normal. Not so sad. Dan walks in for a moment. I think he is looking at me, because he is. He's looking straight through me, and he looks confused because he sees no one. Dan, I shout. D shot. Hello? Big Dan looks around. Guys? D doesn't make a sound. D makes a sound. Dan can't see her because she is on the floor behind herself. For a second, I don't think Dan has heard her. Dan looks in her direction and says, hello? D makes another sound, and suddenly I am happy. So happy. D is still alive. I shouted that D has been shot because it's better than saying that D is dead. And now I know that she is not dead. She is making a wheezing sound. And even better, she's trying to answer Big Dan. That means she is awake. D walks over to... Sorry, Dan walks over to the aisle where D has fallen. When he sees D, D on the floor, he says, Oh my God, D! Big, man, Big Dan moves fast. He opens his cell phone and presses number as he moves into the aisle and kneels down beside D. He acts like Big Dan, a guy who stops at the gas station every night for Dr. Pepper to keep him awake on the ride home to a place called New, Ham- New Haven. Big Dan, who doesn't linger in the gas station for a moment longer than necessary, but who's friendly just the same. I love Polly and his scratch tickets and, and the way he likes to drink his coffee as slowly as possible. But in an emergency, I love Big Dan. <sighs> Breathe. Chapter 15. No. The ambulance... Sorry, that wasn't part of the story. Mickey wants to eat my food. No, buddy. Sorry, it's human food. I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, the ambulance people took Dee and Sally away in two separate vans. Dee was taken first, but Sally left right after her, even though he wasn't hurt at all. I tried to tell the ambulance people that Sally was just stuck, and no one needs to ride in an ambulance van just because they are stuck. But they couldn't hear me, of course. An ambulance man with bushy hair used an old-fashioned cell phone with a big antenna to tell someone at the hospital that D is in critical condition. This means that D might die, especially if she got a good look at the devil man who shot her. It seems like the more you know about the person who shot you, the more likely you are to die. The police closed the gas station even though it's never supposed to close, so after D and Sally were taken away, I went home. Max is still stuck. His dad has to work at 5 o'clock tomorrow morning, so he went to bed. Max's mom is still awake, sitting on a, in a chair next to Max's bed. My chair. But I don't mind. I want to sit with Max's mom, too. I want, I want her to stay in Max's room all night. I just saw my friend get shot with a real gun and a real bullet, and I can't stop thinking about it. I wish that Max's mom would stroke my hair back and kiss me on the forehead, too. Max wakes up on Saturday morning. He is unstuck. Why are you sitting there? 
Why are you sitting there? I think he's talking to me. I, I'm sitting on the edge of, end of the bed. I've been sitting here all night, thinking about Deegan, Sally, and the devil man, and staring at Max's mom because it makes me feel better. Bless you. It was saying bless you to my cat again. Um, not part of the story. But Max isn't talking to me. He's talking to his mother. She fell... asleep in my chair. And his voice wakes her. She jumps up like someone pitched her. pinched her. What? She says, looking around like she doesn't know where she is. Why are you sitting there? Max asks again. Max, you're awake. And then the eggs and the rocks and the broken window and Max getting stuck seem to fall out of the sky and fill her up like air in a balloon. She pops out of the chair, all inflated and awake, and she quickly answers Max. I'm sitting here because you were upset last night, and I didn't want you to be alone. Max looks at the window beside his bed. It's covered with clear plastic. Max's dad tacked it up for the night. I was stuck? He asked. Yes, her mother said, for a little while. Max knows that he was stuck, but he always asks if he was stuck anyway. I don't know why. It's not like he has amnesia, which is a disease that turns off people's brains so it can't record what the person sees or does. It happens a lot on television, and I think it's real, even though I've never met anyone with amnesia before. It's like if Max is double-checking to make sure everything is okay. Max is a big fan of double-checking. Who broke my window? He said, still looking at plastic. We don't know, his his mom said. We think it was an accident. How could someone break my window by accident? Kids do crazy things on Halloween, his mom says. They threw eggs at our house last night. And rocks, too. Why? From the tone in his voice, I can tell that Max is upset about this. I'm sure his mom can tell, too. It's called a prank. Um, she says. Some kids th- think it's okay to pull pranks on Halloween. Pull? Make pranks. Do pranks. She says. People use the expression pull pranks sometimes. Oh. Do you want breakfast? His mom asks. Max's mom is always worried about Max eating enough, even though he eats plenty of food. What time is it? Max's mom looks at her watch. It's the kind with hands on it, so I can't read it well. It's 8.30, she says, looking relieved. Max can only eat breakfast before 9 o'clock. After 9 o'clock, he must wait until 12 o'clock to eat lunch. This is Max's rule, not his mom's. Okay, Max says. I'll eat. His mom leaves to make the pancakes and to get Max and let Max get dressed. He does not eat breakfast in his pajamas. This is also Max's rule. Did mom kiss me last night? Max asks. Yes, I say, but only on the forehead. I want to tell Max that the devil man shot my friend last night, but I can't. I don't want Max to know that I go to the gas station and the diner and the police station and the hospital. I don't think he would like it if I knew I went to those places. He likes to think that I am sitting beside him all night, or at least somewhere in the house, in case he needs me. I think it would make him mad to know that I have other friends in the world. Was it a long kiss? Max asks. For the first time ever, this question makes me mad. I know how important it is for Max to know that his mom's kiss was not too long. But the length of a mom's kiss is not that important. It's a tiny thing compared to guns and blood and friends and ambulance fans. And he shouldn't have to ask me every day. Doesn't he know that a mom's long kiss is not a bad thing? Nope, I say like I always do. It was super short. 
but when I say it this time, I do not smile. I frown. I say it through clenched teeth. Max doesn't notice. He never notices these things. He's still looking at the plastic that is covering my window. Do you, look, do you know who broke my window? Max asks. I do, but I don't know if I should tell Max. I don't know if this is like his mom's long kisses and I should lie. I'm still mad at him for worrying about the long kisses. So even though I want to do the right thing, I don't want to do the right thing. I don't want to do right thing too. I don't want to hurt Max, but I'm not in the helping mood either. I take too long to answer. Do you know who broke my window? Max asks again. He never asked to ask me questions twice, so now he is angry too. I decide to answer honestly, not because I think it's the best thing for Max to hear, but because I am mad and I don't want to think about what is right. It was Tommy Swindon, I said. I say. I ran outside after I heard your window break and I saw him running away. It was Tommy Swindon, Max says. Yes, I say. It was Tommy Swindon. Tommy Swindon broke my window and threw eggs at our house. Max says this to his mother while he's eating pancakes. I can't believe that he told her. I didn't expect him to say it. How is he going to explain it? Suddenly I'm not angry at Max anymore. I'm worried. Worried about what he will say. Now I'm angry at myself for being so stupid. Who is Tommy Swindon? Max's mom asked. He is a boy who is mean to me at school. He wants to kill me. How do you know that? His mom doesn't sound like she believes him. He told me. What did he say exactly? She's still washing up the frying pan, so I know that she still does not believe him. He said he was going to bowl me, Max says. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's bad. Max is staring at his pancakes because what when Max eats, he stares at his food. How do you know it's bad? His mom asks. Because everything Tommy Swindon says to me is bad. His mom doesn't say anything for a minute, and I think she's going to forget the whole thing. Then she speaks again. How do you know that Tommy threw the eggs in the rocks? Um, Budo saw him. Budo saw him. Budo saw him. This time it's Max's mom who is saying something that didn't sound like a question, but was still a question. Yes, Max says. Budo saw him. Okay. I feel like the elephant in the room. This is an expression that means there is something two people know that is as big as an elephant, but no one wants to talk about it. Max's mom uses this expression a lot when he's talking to Max's dad about Max's diagnosis. It took me forever to figure out what the elephant in the room thing meant. Max's mom eat for a little while, and then his mom asks, Is Tommy Swinton in your class? No, he's in Mrs. Parenti's class. Um, third grade? No. Max says. He sounds annoyed. He thinks that his mom should know that Mrs. Parenti doesn't teach third grade. But because in Max's world, knowing who teaches what grade is a big deal. Mrs. Parenti is a fifth grade teacher. Oh. Max's mom doesn't say anything else about Tommy Swindon or the eggs or the rocks or getting bold or me, which is bad. It means he is planning on doing something. I can feel it. And I am going to end there. I hope you enjoyed and bye-bye, Ocean. I will resume with chapter 16.